and welcome to this episode of Introspectional. I am super, super excited about this episode because it is our season finale. I know. I I can't believe we made it this far either. So I'm super excited to kind of close out this experience with you all with something that is truly near and dear to my heart, which is the ability for us to create communities within fandom. So what I've done for this last episode, I've brought together some incredible people who are in these internet streets, at your cons, at your virtual cons, creating events that allow so many people from so many aspects of the fandom to connect, to build, to feel seen, and for us to come together because really and truly the thing that I know I found in delving into speculative fiction when I was younger and even now is that it has allowed me to feel connected with other people. It has allowed me to feel that my little geeky, nerdy, awkward self was not alone and I could build friendships, build strength, build my talents among people who appreciated it. So I want to introduce you to these fantastic people who are sharing that same experience with other people as the fandom continues to grow and expand and include so many different people of diverse backgrounds, ethnicity, sexual orientations, ability, everything that makes us different from each other doesn't stop us from all loving the same thing and wanting to feel connected to one another and value our differences. So long preface, so you just don't, don't do that, but whatever, it's the season finale, I get to do whatever I want. Uh, <laughs> so first of all, could you introduce yourself to the people and tell them, you know, whatever you want to share about yourself, starting with Bianca. I am Bianca Hernandez-Knight, and I am an all-around nerd. I don't like to just have specifics. I'm I like a sampler platter. I'm down for romance, literary things, but also the weird and wonderful things, like from everything from Warehouse 13 to, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Give me a little bit of fun things all around. You might know me from Jane Austen World or Costuming Spaces, where I run the Jane Austen universe with, I would be remiss not to say, a mod team because sometimes you need a mod team sometimes you need a team i uh, also do virtual jane con which is this community like as much as people are like i do it i'm like no no no. it's made by the community for the community it is 100 a virtual con that is all of the brilliant folks in that community making content that is a thing that i like to showcase because it's just like we all have our different flavors of how we get to a fandom and I love for people to own that space for themselves and to be elevated to that level of you are a speaker on this thing, you are presenting on this thing because you love this thing and that makes you an expert in this thing. And I think we should honor people for those experiences. Thank you so much, Bianca. Nisha, can you go next? Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for having me here today. So I am Nisha T. Molchan and I am in um, APRN, Nurse Practitioner, Family Practice and Neurology. And I am also CEO of Diversely Geek and the Diversely Me Foundation. And we are a mental wellness-based self-care and diversity and inclusivity nonprofit organization based here in Florida. But we do have a global reach across the world, actually a very strong Asian um, um, population following, which is really a great blessing for us. And what we, we have done over the last seven years is really try and create a strong foothold in understanding why people connect to being a geek. 
what is it about that messaging? What is the potential in that messaging that could help us to build stronger mental selves, stronger emotional selves, and much stronger connective communities? Because it is what helped create the foundation that is me as a 55-year-old Indo-Caribbean woman growing up in a Western platform to be able to find my own sense of self. So bringing that to the world was really important for me to help us understand how to embrace our fandoms and our healing hobbies and our innovative intuitions to be able to then grow personally in terms of our own self-care and self-reflection. DG for seven years has built the research, the foundation will actually be putting the work out into the world and we are launching the foundation in June. So a lot of amazing things ahead. That's incredible. And my head is stuck on the phrase healing hobbies. Like, I love that. And I want to hold it in my heart somewhere. So I think we need to get back to that at some point. Can you round us out and tell the people about yourself? Hey, what's going on world? It's your boy JCW. I am the founder of the Gamer Allied People of Color or GayPoc for short. Our mission statement is simple with us. We're here to build, house, and protect Black and brown bodies amongst the queer perspective, their allies and protective voices that announce themselves through the marginalized community as they engage with themselves and amongst the majority diaspora. We started out in 2016. We started off as a little group that just we didn't, you know, really think anything of ourselves. There was nothing really like us and we didn't know. And then we grew quickly. I was made a power admin of Facebook in the United States region in like eight months. And we just found ourselves with this thing on our hands. And I was like, okay, what are we doing? And we started to notice that we started to create this space where people were consistently telling us we haven't had this before. We don't know what this is like to, you know, be here and just be ourselves. And now we find ourselves navigating the, our, basically our announcement to the community at large who we are as black and brown queer gamers, as black and brown queer nerds. We get the blurred aspect of it. We get the LGBTQ aspect of it, but we don't get this centered perspective. So we find ourselves now building and creating community communities across the globe, actually, where we're now trying to build housing, protect those voices and allow them to intermingle with one another in centralized locations throughout our Facebook group and other avenues where we can discuss, learn, grow, and develop ourselves as a community at large. That's incredible. I'm just, I'm floored just by hearing everything that everybody is doing to support a greater community, to bring more people in, and just the importance of connection. So just thank you so much, all of you, for the work that you're doing. I always like to, you know, ask a fun question for everyone. So my first question for everyone is, what was the first fandom you fell in love with? Let's start with you, Nisha. Oh my goodness. Okay. You wouldn't do that to me. You know, I'm the oldest one here, right? So I'm going to have a lot to go through in my brain. Look, it's just what you fell in love with. If it's He-Man, Buck Rogers, or, you know. How about all of the above? But nah, man, you know, I told you a long time ago about Storm and sitting down at a seven and an eight-year-old in a little teeny comic shop and reading X-Men and how strongly connected I was to the force that she allowed me to have or believe that I could have. And in the same way, I had the exact same connection to Diana of Themyscira, not just Wonder Woman, but Diana of Themyscira. And the stories were really indelible to me understanding myself, my own social cultural status as a young girl in a very unknown world. So I'll go with those. What about you, JC? I mean, my first love is the same. Y'all can't see my background, but of course it is that lady. But my fandom 
fell back a little bit further into my childhood. So X-Men 92 was a thing. And I am just this wee little third grader. And I remember waking up Saturday morning and just seeing this cartoon. And I don't know what clicked in my little brain, but that was it for me. I know everybody else had their little vices and their little stuff that they love, but this was it for me. I was trying to be Cyclops on the playground all the time. It just stuck with me for years. My mother was trying to buy X-Men stuff, but she bought me Sega Genesis stuff. So it didn't always hit as well as it could have if I had it on Super Nintendo. And then sixth grade came and I met a classmate who gave me a 96 X-Men annual and gave me Uncanny X-Men 325, which was Joe Matarea's double gatefold edition with Storm versus Marrow. And they were doing the uh, climax of Gene Nation. And seeing that holographic cover, seeing that glossy stock, I saw the X-Men playing baseball in the beginning of the issue. And then I saw Storm go into what would end up being her, you know, next phase of her haircut and uh, her post on slot uniform, watching that process and watching that character development, seeing it in a book. And I was like, oh, there are books of these. I was stuck. I was in love. I didn't have anybody else really that I could talk to about it because it was middle-class suburbia. So it was just like, you know, everybody was trying to be a football player or something. And I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. in the corner looking stupid, reading books. And I'm just like, but in my world, I was just like, this is awesome. So that has always been my first love when it's come to being a nerd. It still is my first love today. And a voice in that Twitter, you know, saying, you know, all types of stuff that they can improve on now that we have the, the really the awareness to know what these characters really should represent and how they really should be directed. And now that we have that influence. So it's a dream come true just to see us to evolve to that place. And I don't think I'll ever not be in love with the X-Men, but that definitely is my fandom. I love that so much. One thing I've told people before, especially if you watched the animated series, Storm's first lines or around her first lines, she says, I, Storm, mistress of the elements, command you to release (laughs) that child. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yo, I feel that in my soul. soul." (laughs) That's it. How can you not connect to mistress of the elements command? I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm loving the translation to Krakoa. I don't know if you guys read House of X. Absolutely stunning body of work from Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, and uh, R.B. Silva over on the Powers of X side. The X-Men went through a murder, uh, mass murder, through House of X number four. And I think it was Powers of X number four that revealed that the X-Men can't die anymore. Storm takes on this position as a shaman, and the X-Men that were killed in outer space all revived themselves. And she walks up to Jean and she says, who are you? And she says, I, I'm the best me I could ever be. And then she says, and what are you? And she says, I am mutant. And you see Storm turn to the people who are out in the audience and they're all mutants. And they say, what is she? And you all see them pull their fists up and say mutant. And I'm just like, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. That's it. Moment. And Bianca, what about you? What was your first fandom that you fell in love with? I think that like, Technically, the first fandom that I had to fall in love with was Days of Our Lives because my great-grandma made me watch that every day. But the one that I fell in love with by myself was actually Harry Potter. And it makes me so conflicted to say that ever. But I just have to be honest about, like, at the time, like, I didn't have access to a lot of things. I, I too, lived in a small town where people's ambitions were to become a cheerleader or a football player. And I was just a bookworm and books were there for me as an only child. That was the thing that my family would justify 
like my free time, my games were books. And that was just a thing I'd had trouble reading earlier too. So it was a thing that I really embraced. And that was a series that like I got into and then I saw there was a fandom for it. And that just hit me at the right time in my adolescence where I had access to the internet. And I also had access to the forums and I like found places that were really different from the Star Wars communities that I later found too because I didn't have to pretend to be a man in those forums. Uh, in the Harry Potter forums, I could be a woman. I didn't have to have screen names that shielded my gender. We could have really deep discussions. And like, I went to those really cool fan cons, like Prophecy and LeakyCon. And it just is one of those things that like, I will never forget what that meant to me. I will never forget what those early fan, like the, the people I met there and like all those cool things. But like, it devastates me knowing that like that author is such a hateful person and that she has also created a very like solidly hateful defensive space people who defend her who defend jk rowling and who defend all that like that work that she's doing around the hate that she's spreading and like her are against cancel culture and all that because of some of the stuff she's written about that and that people are defending her and just like is so conflicting because I'm like my experience with that fandom early was about talking about the collective space and making places for each other whether we were in it for the fan fiction or in it for talking about how it made us feel seen in different ways and it's so conflicting because I'm like, that is the thing that I know boosted me into wanting to be in communities. And yet it's become this thing that is led by someone so problematic and so awful and has spread such awfulness. So it's like a pain, it's a weird plus and minus thing about being in fandom where sometimes the creators completely fuck you and like are part of the problematic spaces within your fandoms. Yeah, no, like I... I totally get it. And it's one of those things that I feel like it's super, it's challenging because it's like, I don't know. It's like going to your favorite camp or like, oh my gosh, I did the sleepaway camp and it made me feel so happy. And then you find out that the director actually was cheating on his wife. You're like, how do I reconcile these two things? It's hard and it makes me feel icky, but I'm also like the real answer is that that was the first thing that was my fandom. And like, I think though, what is important there is that a lot of people have learned from that experience that it's not just going to be all sunshine and unicorns because you had a good experience. Like there are problems and that you may not even anticipate, especially with creators and the people who touch a product because these often are franchises that are going to be touched by people that are not 100% good or bad and that are not 100% here for you as an audience member. I think that's one of the big questions, you know, because there's the subject matter, the content, and then there's the community that grows from it. Mm -hmm. And I still feel, you know, from like your experience and the experiences of so many people who I know who fell in love with Harry Potter and the Harry Potter story and fandom and what it meant to people it's very hard for me to say that like the story itself no longer has value because the creator is a problem I'm like that almost feels like that would be depriving people from the way they could find value into it yet at the same time this creator is still a problem it's maddening it's a time immemorial conundrum the creators are they give us a story they give us the potential of the story the fans have always been the reason and the rhyme for why a story takes on the life and the breath that it does 
It would never exist to the extent that it does if we didn't connect to the potential meaning and connection of that story. So the reason, and first of all, Bianca, we, we began as you're just the same as I am. We actually created the celebration of Harry Potter community that you see out in the global one. My, my daughter and I started that 11 years ago. And you know, it grew into the very large mass organization because we live in Orlando. So we are highly connected to this community and our shows, we do a lot of work around Harry's story and Neville's story, very much so. But for us, we've juxtaposed it to the fact that it's not JK. It's not her that's relevant at this moment. I thank her that she wrote the stories. I understand the experiences and that she lived through. I don't believe in who she is. And that's that. But the stories have their life, right? And they still breathe and they still move and they still mean something. And so I will continue to support those stories because that world building belongs to the fans. She wrote something two-dimensionally. We built the rest of it, if that makes sense. In this case, that's how I see this and why I will continue to follow and, and support the messaging from the stories. I mean, that, that's great. I just, I, I love the different ways that we can take something that was written and breathe life into it and make it our own. Right. <laughs> And that's an amazing starting point, I feel like, for imagination, for growth. And I know, like, that's one of the ways that I started my variety of fandoms. And I was like, okay, we can start here and we can expand it to something bigger and better. And JC, you kind of already mentioned this about one of the friends that you shared your fandom with in our fan communities. And this is a question for everybody. When you first form that connection with somebody or with your first fandom community, do you remember that moment? Like who it was or what community it was that you first connected to? I do, but since I talked about X-Men, I'm gonna talk about a fandom that I fell in love with shortly after that stayed with me to this day. And it was this RPG called Xeno Gears on PlayStation. Raised Christian, they teach you oftentimes that a lot of varying doctrines within the denominations of Christianity that gives the things of the sort of witchcraft. So it was not lost on me that I put my hands on a video game that managed to infuse science fiction with Judeo-Christian values and a lot of philosophers and psychologists, namely the philosophies of Sigmund Freud, addressing how psychology can affect body through this sci-fi means of reincarnation that was wrapped around this concept of Adam, Eve, Jesus, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 disciples of Christ. I had never seen anything like this in my life at that time. You know, I'm 13. And the first time I actually connected with somebody about this, it was actually a manager at, well, I guess it would have been Funko Land back in the day. So what you would know is a GameStop today, basically. And this guy was like, oh yeah, Xenogears, that's a dope game. Is your disc two working? And that was a commonality amongst that game when it was produced that the game was rushed. It's known in Squaresoft as the Mona Lisa of RPGs because it never finished. The irony about that is that the female protagonist who was reincarnated. There's a church in the game where you go and there's a painting of her that is not done. And in a previous life with the protagonist and this girl, he did not finish the painting because he was in love with her. And it looks exactly like Mona Lisa because she's not smiling. So when I was able to connect with this guy at this Funko Land about this game and how complicated it was, it was just this like alleviation because I was just walking around like a nerd again. And this was worse than the X-Men thing because I found people as I went on, right? With this, it was just like, 
has anybody played this game? And everybody that I met was playing Final Fantasy VII at the time. And I was just like, oh my God, nobody has played this genius masterpiece of the game. So to see that manager and see that guy, it was really like a lift. I can't really explain it because I've never felt that since. But to meet somebody like that, that was able to understand the religious concept and conflict that might be there along with this actually stunning narrative that they produced around this story. It was just like, that's probably the best way I could put it. I just exhaled. It was, it was beautiful. Anyone else? I mean, I remember the first friend that I made like through fandom, like I had friends that we kind of shared some interesting things we go to the midnight showings together but like they would move on and i'm like no i don't want to move on i want to talk about this movie again and i want to go watch it again and i want to go like on forums and talk about weird fan theories um and but the first friend that i feel like we were just like entrenched in it was in college and it, it was i had oh god such a nerd i had revived the the dead harry potter club this is like, this is terrible. It had been like long dead. This was like 2009, 10. And I revived it because I, at that point had learned when I move away from home, how do I bond with people? How do I find community? And that was the first time I think it clicked with me. You need to sometimes start your own spaces. And that space I realized had existed in some way. So I just kind of revived it. We were like a school recognized club, literally. It's so silly, but like I met someone there that like we were both Latina and this really interesting kind of mixed space, mostly kind of white-ish spaces a lot of the time, but we both loved this thing too. And we just bonded so quickly and so fast over that fandom. And like I have friends that we kind of sometimes talk about the same stuff, but not always. That was so different. And that was the first time and like forever more those experiences like those are things that like I feel like are those relationships that I just click for me where I'm like we first bond over this shared enthusiasm and love and not just a passing like oh it came out now it's done I'm on to the next it's like no I want to talk about this I want to entrench myself in this community I want to talk to you for hours and then we can also like get to know each other and talk about why those things are important in our experiences in this fandom and like that's the first relationship built on the foundation of a fandom and then like, you know, still friends to this day, but I also know that I've made other amazing friends along the way too from those things where it's like, yes, we can share this journey together. And maybe we even came into the fandom at very different times, but like having that like fandom experience, I think has been so critical to my adult relationships that have stuck. You gotta have someone you can nerd out with. Like you just gotta, well, what about you, Nisha? Okay, so I'm listening to you and it's really, it's really very enriching for me because every single thing you're saying is actually in my research. Pretty much every single line that each of you are saying is something that we've written into why fandom and embracing those healing fandoms and those healing hobbies are so extremely critical to building positive self and self-identity as we're growing up. And the sooner we do that, the sooner we, we engage our, our children or ourselves in that, the, the sooner we're going to be able to figure out who we are and be able to be very highly confident in it and then build stronger relationships as we grow. So I'm just, I love you both already. Because <laughs> I question always, am I doing something that's a little so outside of the box that people will think I'm just nuts? But then I have all of you telling me, no, you are literally speaking the truth. So thank you for that. So it's a little different for me because again, I grew up in a community where it was very difficult to find anything outside of the smaller Indo-Caribbean community because comes this little 
whole. <laughs> you exist in your bubble. So for us, I will tell you, there's a couple things and you're going to love this. One, music community. We were massive music fans. We have hundreds of vinyls still to this day, all original soundtracks. I learned to love musical theater as early as I can remember. Jesus Christ Superstore was my existence. Breathing every sound and nuance of that soundtrack just helped me to feel so much better about myself. But I was doing it with family because we were a bunch of music nerds, let me tell you. And thankfully, in the middle of everything else, we were, you know, a good 40, 50, 60 people strong on a regular basis, going to movies together and going to concerts. And so I had that particular wonderful grace in my life. It was harder to connect to an outside community only because in the Caribbean and in the Indian culture, the family's parents are like, no, 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 you stay here. You don't get to connect to other people. Yeah, yeah, you don't do that because, you know, that's how it is. So it wasn't until I was in high school that I found my voice a little bit. And then I was like 15 and 16, where I was finally able to say, whoa, hey, there are other people who love musical theater. What? What? <laughs> there are other people who know these things. What? And then I had always been singing and playing music, but it wasn't until then that I could have those two-sided conversations that Bianca was speaking about. It wasn't until then I could delve into understanding Les Mis and going, what does this mean? You know, who does this mean to me as I'm growing? Or, you know, Madame Butterfly. And then later, Rent, this huge epiphany in existence of life, so important. So, you know, I will say musical, but it grew very differently for me, right? It's because it grew from family. And then I felt safe enough to bring it and connect to people outside. It's a different version of fandom, but it's fandom. And oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I would say musical theater for me. And I will never, never forget my own roots in Bollywood. We grew up heavily Bollywood heavy. We are an Indian family, a Caribbean family. That was a much larger community that we could then connect to because I'm from New York. So being from New York, that's where you'd be able to go out and you'd go to larger events and everybody's singing and dancing to the same stuff, you know, and everyone's learning the dance routines. So it's, a, again, another flavor of fandom, but also seeing how other social cultural fandoms really also have these amazing influences on your life. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. And one thing I think is funny, because I completely agree with that, you know, a musical theater nerd myself, like the first musical theater thing that I loved to the death was The Wiz. Like at four, that was my thing. And then nerd stuff for me was always hand in hand. It's like, if I watch The Wiz one minute, I'm turning on Teenage Mutant Turtles the next. That's just my life. So yeah, that's like really cool. But I was also thinking as you're talking, whether it's anime or various fandom spaces, sometimes there's songs and sometimes there's dances and it's interesting when you meet other real life people who know the song or the dance from said fandom for example I know very few Dragon Ball Z fans who have not tried to do the fusion dance no one looks good doing it but they all do it <laughs> And if you know DBZ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you've done it before, don't lie. Anyway. <laughs> I'm seeing it at weddings now. <laughs> I'm seeing it at weddings, Ginyu Force poses with all of the best men. Like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. 
I raced a bunch of DBZ generation. So believe me, I have it all over. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I know it. That is awesome. Well, we've talked a little bit about the fandom communities that you all have built, but I do want to delve a little deeper into that because we talked about the mission of the different spaces, but I'm curious what inspired you to make them in the first place? Like made you think, you know what, let me start this Facebook group or let me start investigating this. Like what prompted that? Stacey, you can go first. It's not as glorious as, you know, some beginnings are. I got blocked out of another LGBT group because at the time Marvel's Capcom Infinite had came out. And I was a part of the No X-Men, No Peace movement. So at that point, it was like there was a member of the FGC that became PR for the Capcom division that was producing this game. Uh, a guy named, I think it's Peter Combofine Ross, I think is his name. So Combofine is what we know as a, in the community by tag. So he died in his interview like around E3 weekend that year that the game came out. He's just like, people don't remember who the X-Men are. It's <laughs> like... What? Like, are we talking about the same people? Like, are you kidding? Like, you, this is a legacy line we're talking about. And now all of a sudden, there is no X-Men in Ba Sing Se. So, all right, let's just combat this right quick. So, Infinite comes out. I'm in this group. And these guys are like, oh, wow, this game looks really great. And I'm like, this game is terrible. Where's Wolverine at? And they're just, like, not having it. So, they blocked me out the group. And a friend of mine came to my inbox and was like, why don't you just make your own? And I was just like, why? He's like, because you always get blocked for your opinion everywhere else. So you may as well just make your own. And I did. And I think what gave me the, the edge on being able to build is that I knew what it was like to be rejected out of other groups. Because when it comes to social media, my text does not read as friendly as other people. And I'm a passionate person, what teacher can tell you. So uh, needless to say, when I'm in an exchange, you know, younger days, it was just kind of like, I got my opinion. And I feel like I should voice it. And the admin's like, well, I don't like that you know, done. So in this community where I was building, it, I was building it so quick. I let people have their voices. Like there's people in my group right now that don't even like me per se. And we're founding by all sorts, but being able to bring them in is kind of what gave us the birth of being able to build community. If I wasn't able to have dissenting opinions from other individuals amongst the varying communities and fandoms that we have within what it is to be us, then I don't think we'd be where we were at. If I was, you know, authoritarian about it and just banhammered anybody who didn't agree with me, we wouldn't have community. So I think our birth really came from diversity and being able to coexist with each other and not being able to agree all the time, but being able to respect one another all the time. I love that. Not being able to agree all the time, but being able to respect each other all the time. Like that, that, that's truth. And speaking of that, Bianca. Like you talking about just creating your own space, I think is like, the core of everything I currently believe in about not just fandom spaces, but honestly, on the higher level organizations, career paths, all of these things. I'm just like, I think that fandom is a space that a lot of us are going to find inspiration from the coming years, if not decades on other things too, which is empowerment through people who have common beliefs and don't want to have to be beholden to some other person who's not going to protect us. So yeah, when I created Jane Austen Universe, I knew that like something that didn't really exist that way. Like I had been part of another or Austin thing that the creator decided to implode because she just wanted to. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to create a space. Like people have liked these places that I've been very involved in, but didn't have the total control over. And I'm just going to make this other place that's overtly this way and not just kind of subtly like anti-racist and more of like this is built into the space is built in that we're going to talk about these things in the Jane Austen world a lot of groups literally 
to give examples, they'll delete any discussion of, you know, people of color even existing sometimes in history because they just are trying to whitewash every aspect of it. I've seen many groups delete any post about Bridgerton, even though there's a very clear overlap, if not direct line from Jane Austen to where we are today with that. So there are a lot of, you know, places that just want to continue to whitewash that space and to not have any discussion that isn't quote polite I call it the cult of politeness where we can't talk about anyone that's not like straight white and like a certain demographic and I'm like no I've cultivated a space that I want people to feel comfortable talking about anything from who are some characters that could potentially have been queer you know who are some characters who could have been neurodivergent like what are things that we notice about these things even 200 years later because I definitely feel like we need to have folks who have a lot of different opinions so we can talk through things but I also definitely think that like for me that community suffered a ton from racist shutting down any conversations of the existence of people of color not even just in media but in their community it was almost just like you couldn't bring your identity to the table uh, unless you're a white person and I'm like that's bullshit because this is what we bring with us and for me you know Jane Austen is one of the spaces that that's been important but there are other places too I try to be in the bubbles that honor that too and say like you can bring your identity to the table like why wouldn't you do that so I think that that's going to be a thing that we again it's in our hearts now because we do it with fandom a thing that we love but I also think it's going to overflow to the things that are adjacent like the the discussions we're having about jobs and jobs that protect us or don't protect us are very in line with the conversations around fandom you can just leave and start your own place because we are in that area where we can educate ourselves and empower each other to do it. And I think that's why it's almost critical that we do look at like the digital spaces, how they influence this like bigger cone of society. Absolutely. And I I love this idea of like, we can bring ourselves to the space instead of conforming to this very uncomfortable, very unnatural folding of ourselves into a shape that doesn't work as opposed to, you know, I know you want my genius. My genius comes in this package. So we're coming together. Nisha, can you tell us a little more about what inspired Diversely Geek? So, you know, the story of the foundation of Diversely Geek goes backwards, right? In 2011, we went to the first celebration of Harry Potter before it was called that. It was actually when they um, brought out the the last book and the entire crew, literally directorships, everyone came together at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter with the cast, etc. And it was the first ever event of its kind. And we um, all attended. It was a very important part of our growing life as a family. Our fandoms are part of our growing life as a family. This is very important to understand that while we may have our splintering and our fractures as mother, father, child, you know, and the extended family, that community is still very much embedded and tied and connected to the fandoms that we love. I've raised them understanding how to use those stories to tell their stories. So that being said, we created the You're Just the Same as I Am moniker back in 2011 when 200 of us were just so close and grew to love each other so much that we wanted to keep in touch. So we created that space. And then when we found out about the celebration of Harry Potter's, we created the a celebration of Harry Potter group, which then grew into this huge, very largest global organization, which again, we stepped away from to allow 
you know, a different set of ownership exists within that. But from that, we grew the community to thousands and thousands and thousands. So that community in and of itself has continued in a different partition. In the meantime, as I was a mom growing, I was a nurse and I was working more in neuroscience and neurodivergence, which was very important to me in terms of behavioral health, behavioral modification. And I started teaching through fandom. So I actually taught mental wellness and self-care. I created a program as an um, RN back in the day, PSN, and I would work with my patients through all ages. And I embedded it as part of their self-care plan. Then we had a really, really tragic experience in my life. My brother passed away in um, 2010. And the circumstances of his death and his life, having lived with manic depressive bipolar disorder, and the fact that culturally and work-wise, he had to suppress that. He couldn't treat. It wasn't at that time, the many years prior to that, he couldn't just be treated because as a pilot, he couldn't do that. There was no equanimous platform for someone who was mentally ill to still manage their health and still work. Speaking of work roles changing, Bianca, and culturally, it was very difficult to look at depression, psychosis, and mania and not feel a societal guilt. So therefore, we didn't always support our kids when they were expressing that they were struggling with this pain. And he struggled with it his whole life until he lost his life to it. And my life was shattered after that. It's what it is. But because of it, my self-care journey changed. And I took the stories that I had been telling with my patients. I took the love that we had with the fandom we had created through You're Just as Sane as I Am. And I asked the kids and I'm like, why can't we take this, this truth and bring it to the world so kids can stop living in self-hatred and self-loathing and self-disawareness? Why can't we let them understand that connecting to those healing fandom passions and those healing hobbies and all of these things that they love so much is actually critical to knowing self. So I said, I believe in it so much. And at that time, the research had only tiny started and it didn't exist in the geek community or fandom world. And I said, kids, let's create this group. Can we do it? Can you show me how to do it? And, you know, at this point I was in my, my mid forties. So it's a whole different thing to create a community at that time and to grow it. And to be fair, it grew beautifully. So as we expanded the nature of the research and the connections that we were getting and being asked to speak at cons, we changed the title, became Diversely Geek and became a nonprofit. And then I formalized the research, started working on it. And then we built the community. We've had 10 million person reach in our posts, it's actually happened in our lifetime because we don't just fo you know, focus on any one fandom. As long as it's a positive healing fandom where our posts build the, the inclusive, positive messaging into every single posts. And so we connected to people throughout the world in a time when they really, really, really needed it, which is seven, five to seven years ago. And we really had a beautiful connection at the time. And so that's where the community came from. We created it ourselves. There was nothing, and there has never been anyone who's had to create a community like this. Although now you're going to see more mental wellness and fandom. It was good to be a maverick 
<laughs> and a person to incite it, I will tell you, it was difficult because people do not look at a 55-year-old Indian woman and go, you know what you're talking about, right? So it's been difficult. Yeah, a lot of people, and, and, and I don't want to say it's whitewashing per se, but it definitely happens. It's only been in the last few years that people of color have really been more welcome to be able to be included in the larger panel conversation. And I'm sure you guys understand that. So yeah, it's every ounce of this community, we built it um, from the ground up, just tapping nails into wood and then building a room and then slowly getting to where we can build a house. And even today we struggle, but we're here. So thank you for letting me share that. Thank you, Nisha. Like that was just really, really powerful. And this made me think of is that I feel like it's a fairly common moment especially when you are you know friends with people who are into certain fandoms something like that but at some point someone will say this fandom changed my life this book saved me this tv show came in at the right point of my life this comic saved my life I feel like it happens enough that it's not an uncommon story like it, it doesn't surprise anyone who I know who is like fairly deep into fandom if someone says that we're like yeah I totally understand that happens and then also how different characters even and sometimes especially you know it's like your heroes your villains your side characters it doesn't matter that character, that storyline has saved someone's life. It's happened. Shake that off. <laughs> Have that moment. I like it. But but that's the truth, right? Is in that moment we all connected and we're family. And any tears or any emotion that we felt in that one moment is one that we all had together. And that's the whole point of this, right? That's the, that's that community that you're asking us, that you're talking to us about. It is probably the most supportive thing you can have in your existence is to know and to let people know that this community, these are the ones that will help you grow. These are the ones that are gonna make help you to become and know the person who you're supposed to be. It's not the ones that we expect to be, to live within. Those communities don't always support us, right? Yeah. yeah it's like the ones that are unexpected and also I feel like what's really interesting I feel about fandom community whichever fandom you are whether it's you know anime video games musical theater Jane Austen whatever it is the communities that you find yourself are particularly powerful I find you know like you absolutely have the community that you're born into you absolutely have the, the community that you're connected to but when you found it yourself and all of a sudden someone is speaking the same language as you and you were convinced you were the only one who spoke this language or who found this exciting or interesting and when you find someone else who speaks the same language you're like oh, I'm not alone oh my gosh oh no <laughs> it's a great moment Hey everyone, I hope you are enjoying part one of the season finale of Introspectional. So this episode was so power packed, so well, this episode was so power packed, so powerful that I decided to split it up into two episodes. So this is the 
first one and again I hope you got a lot out of it and the second one I promise will be just as impactful so that will be the next episode showing up next week and in the meantime wanted to let you know where you can find me where you can find more information about some of the content we'll be doing over the summer so you can follow introspectional on twitter at i-n-t-e-r-s-p-e-c-t-i-o-n-a-l so that's introspectional spelled like intersectional just with a p after the s but other than that, like I said, this has been a great journey. I'm super excited to continue to share it with you. And I look forward to you listening to the second part of this big action-packed finale episode. Have a great day, and I look forward to seeing you on the interwebs.